1: Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. My name is Mike B Hill. With me today, of course, is my co-host, Sam Cooper. How are you doing? I've been better,
2: Mike, after last night's loss, but I do have to say I'm doing uh, pretty well. And uh, yeah, hopefully the Suns start winning some games soon. Uh, It's not looking too great for us right now without DeAndre Ayton or Rashawn Holmes.
1: (laughs) is the dragon finally developing now that he he's not under team control <laughs> well we should definitely talk about that
2: in a minute um i will say right off the bat i am proud of dragon for trying uh that's about yeah what I to
1: say. <laughs> I, yeah it's like I, I weirdly i feel like a, a father i'm the mother of dragons essentially i'm daenerys and i'm watching a dragon finally uh <laughs> fly off on its own um We have some housekeeping right up front. For the first time ever, we're going to talk about ourselves right up front on this podcast. And we finally did it. The Timeline Podcast is now a podcast and a YouTube channel. We finally created a YouTube channel. We've talked about it in the past. We asked for your feedback as fans of the show. And a lot of people said that they would like it if we created a YouTube channel. So we finally did. Uh, And... With that, we've uploaded some of our previous videos that we created for Twitter. We call those our Timeline Skills Breakdown videos. Um, There was one, of course, about TJ Warren's shooting. We did one in the past about DeAndre Ayton's passing. Those are there. But our very first YouTube video, because Twitter only allowed us to make videos two minutes and 20 seconds, our very first one is a 13-minute soliloquy that Sam created on (laughs) the Power Forward Problem that the Phoenix Suns are currently facing. Um, the, do we have a fa- power forward problem, Sam? Let's start there. Yes. Why? Describe it.
2: <laughs> uh, the the Suns are the worst rebounding team in the NBA. It's gotten to the point, Mike, where I've seen you talking about, why not just start Quincy AC the rest of the yeah. season? <laughs> if we're going to lose games anyway, and he'll at least use up all six of his fouls and, and grab a few rebounds because... TJ Warren uh, has been awesome this season overall, I think, and I am still going to defend him mostly. Just you know, for how much hard work it took to rebuild that previously broken shot of his. But the rebounding has been a huge issue. Uh, we've talked about it on the podcast in the past, so I don't feel the need to go into great detail. But essentially, the Suns need to fix this issue, and unless they luck into Zion Williamson, which is not that likely this year with the new lottery odds, they're going to need to look at the plethora of options in free agency. So that's that's really what the video is about.
1: Now, the problem is sort of centered around starting TJ Warren at the power forward position. And it's a difficult conversation to have because there are potential solutions to that with the current roster, but none of them are great. And some of them are starting Quincy Acey. Now, when I talk about starting <laughs> Quincy Acey, even I'm not sure if I mean sending TJ Warren or sending Mikhail Bridges to the bench. I've sort of argued both sides of that uh, online in the past few weeks but i will say it's frustrating to watch tj warren because what i've been doing ever since we started talking about this issue that we've been dealing with 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 power forwards and rebounding is just watching tj warren off the ball and seeing what he does as shots go up and he's just he he floats around a little he's not always focused he doesn't put a body on his man and rebounds come easily for the other team when he's on the floor and this is not his fault his natural position is of course the small forward position he's playing out of position at that power forward position. But watching him, it's been very frustrating when talking about this issue. And and I brought up Quincy Ac. of course. It is it is a funny thing to say. This guy, he's really put up very little stats. He's finally made a few three-pointers in the past week. Very impressed with his shooting stroke, especially just because he doesn't look like a guy that can shoot. He needs to um, shoot it more.
2: I'm I agree. Him last I think night. He, he does. He finally let a few fly, but there were still so many opportunities he had where he had a wide open shot and he just hesitated. And I'm thinking to myself, this is a guy who shot, I think, 35% from three with the Nets last season. I I don't see why he's uh, not just shooting with without any hesitation at all.
1: I agree. If he's out there on the floor, what I like is that he brings toughness, he brings he crashes the board every single time, first of all. And if he's not crashing, he's boxing out, so he occupies his man to at least stop him from getting uh, the board. And then we have guys like Mikhail Bridges with their extendo arms that can reach in there and potentially get an offensive rebound when he's boxing out his man. So just having that kind of toughness on the floor would be interesting. The reason I have trouble picturing moving Mikael Bridges to the bench over TJ Warren, even though sort of NBA rules are, right? If you're a vet, if you've been on the the floor for a long time, been playing for the team, I don't know if you've thought about this, Sam, but TJ Warren's our longest tenured player right now. No, I have thought about it. He yeah, yeah. I, I, so maybe T.J. Warren deserves it, but moving forward, we've talked about it. Mikhail Bridges is a very important piece of the timeline, so you want to maximize his time on the floor with Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, but maybe it makes more sense to move him to the bench. I don't know how you feel about this.
2: You know what's crazy? Uh, it's funny you bring that up, because I hadn't thought about it in a little while, but I think it's T.J. Warren's in his fifth season, Devin Booker's in his fourth. That means the entire Suns starting lineup has 12 years of NBA experience, and I remember... I looked it up. There are, I think, three dozen NBA players currently on active rosters with more years of NBA experience than the entire Suns starting lineup combined. Mm -hmm. You take take a two-point loss like the Suns had last week against Toronto. Kyle Lowry has more experience than the entire Suns starting lineup. How crazy is that? I mean, that just puts into perspective what we're dealing with here where we shouldn't be expecting this success to come immediately. Uh, For for all the praise that we give players like D'Anthony Melton and Mikael Bridges, they're just not ready for consistent production, and I think that's made itself very evident over the past few weeks.
1: So in the video that we uploaded to our YouTube channel, you talked about some potential solutions to... Uh, The power forward problem, it's specifically related to free agency. So you're talking about potentially solving this problem with free agency. Of course, we could luck into Zion, as as we talked about. That would be ideal because of the team control, the uh, relatively small contract, although number one picks tend to get paid more than they've ever been paid before. Every year is a record-setting number one pick contract. But you talked about four potential solutions to those problems. Let's quickly talk about them. I, actually, you know what? I'll, I'll name them right now Noah Vonley, Alfa Aminu, Nikola Miritich, and Tobias Harris. In the video, you talked about Tobias Harris being your least favorite of those four players. Why is it that Tobias Harris, the guy who's averaging the most points right now, is your least favorite? I want to talk about that a little bit.
2: Yeah, so I like Tobias Harris, um, and he's a name that I wanted to specifically address in the video because I've seen a lot of Suns fans bringing him up. By all means, I don't think he would be a a bad signing for Phoenix. It's just an issue of redundancy at the end of the day, and the things that Tobias Harris is bad at are the things that TJ Warren is bad at. For the most part, yeah, he's a little bit better at rebounding. He's a little bit better at shooting across the floor, although not too much better these days. Um, but defense is similar. Uh, the the lack of creating for others uh, is similar, and basically, it comes down to a question of value and return on investment. I think because it's a question of would you rather have T.J. Warren for eleven or twelve million dollars, or Tobias Harris for twenty five to thirty million dollars. For the skills that Tobias Harris brings, given that he doesn't add too much to the table that TJ doesn't already have, I think it's hard to justify that sort of contract being handed out uh, to a guy like Tobias Harris. That's the only reason that out of those four in the video, he's my least favorite option, but still not not a bad idea whatsoever.
1: Yeah, and and that's a good point. And it should be said that TJ Warren is younger as well, so TJ Warren it's mo- is more likely to improve from where he is at right now. Harris is essentially in his prime. He might be playing the best he's ever going to play currently. He's very good. You might be the first person I've ever heard make a Monte Ellis-Tobias Harris comparison. Yeah, that was, I don't think I've ever heard that.
2: That that wasn't a serious basketball comparison. Only in the sense <laughs> of that, course, that Tobias, of course. Harris have it all on offense. That's all I meant. But one of the things I want to bring up about the video too is, because Mike, I know you're a guy who's been really down on we were talking about it just last episode, really down on the concept of bringing more veterans into this team. Uh, we talk about players fitting the timeline. And I think these four players, even if they don't sound that exciting to uh, mm-hmm. guys listening at home, are players who can potentially fit the timeline. None of them are over the age of 28. So this is not like a Tyson Chandler, or Trevor is a 33 year old signing that we're talking yeah. about here. Even Miritich and, and Aminu and Harris, the guys on the older end of the spectrum are in the 26 to 28 range. And then you've got a guy like Noah Vonley who's 23. So that's like real untapped potential territory there in terms of what he might become in the next few years.
1: Yeah, it's a very interesting video. You make the case for each of these guys and you talk about how they could fit with the Phoenix Suns. Tobias Harris, I do have one thing I wanted to say about Harris. Uh, You were trying to draw comparisons to his game. One guy I think Tobias Harris is relatively similar to, maybe up until this season, is actually Devin Booker offensively. He he had a very he has a very similar game. He kind of moves side to side in similar ways, he can shoot throughout the floor, similarly he can attack the basket similarly. I think this year the development in Devin Booker's game in the playmaking area is I think the difference it, between yeah. Tobias Harris and Devin Booker now, of course, but I think very similar games in the past if, for those of you who don't watch a lot of Tobias Harris, He's kind of like Booker, maybe maybe not as lethal, um, but very efficient this year. Now, one thing I do want to talk about, though, Noah Vonley, quickly. It's very interesting. You mentioned he's an unrestricted free agent. I did not realize this. What happened with Vonley? How, come, how is he flying under the radar like this? And, and what makes you think he would be a good fit with the Phoenix Suns? He
2: flew under the radar because he sucked, frankly. I mentioned this is his fourth <laughs> team in five years. So he was one of the situations where it came to the end of his contract um his four-year rookie contract after he was a former top 10 pick with i don't even remember who was it charlotte that he was drafted by or he was with portland at one point i don't remember which one drafted him but he came to the end of his contract and all he could find was portland all he could find was a one-year deal with the knicks portland thank you um and he's he's been killing it this season just defensively offensively he doesn't provide much he's basically going to be a spot-up shooter and a, a rim runner gives you a little bit of dunking. Um, he might try to create for himself a little bit in the post. You shouldn't let him do that too much. Uh, it'll be a little bit like Miles Plumlee hook shots, if you remember those from a few years ago. Uh, right. But defensively, he's a really exciting player that I think could fit really well if you want to continue this trend of of grabbing guys with these great wingspans who are switchable defenders and just throwing them around Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. He really does nothing to ease Devin Booker's offensive load uh, in terms of how much he has to carry the team. Uh, but defensively, you throw out a lineup with De'Anthony Melton at point, Mikael Bridges on the wing, and Noah Vonley down low. And even if you've got two subpar defenders and DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker around them, that team's going to play some good defense.
1: And Vonley has the potential to be the cheapest of these four, I would say. Now, of course, he is the youngest, which could inflate his value. But the fact that he really only has one good season under his belt means that whatever general manager does take a risk on him is taking a risk, just just by the nature of not being sure that it is sustainable over time. Do you think a player like Vonley the way he's been playing lately is sustainable. You talk about it in the video. Of course, his defense is really great. His shooting has been good. You made a bit of a comparison that Knicks fans like to make to Draymond Green, which interestingly, in our last episode, I was talking about the reasons why Draymond Green himself would be a bad fit for the team and that as a team, we should be looking and scouting for who would potentially be the next Draymond Green. Now, I don't want to put that kind of pressure on Vonley because he doesn't have those playmaking abilities. But I mean, do you think that do you think that it's sustainable for him, just based on what you've seen?
2: I think this current level of play is sustainable. I think it's it's impressive what he's doing, given the type of core that he's dealing with. He's currently playing on a New York Knicks team whose first option score is a relatively inefficient Tim Hardaway Jr. I usually tend to not like using the phrase empty points. Um, but, but Tim Hardaway Jr. is the type of player who's scoring 20 points per game as a matter of circumstance of the type of team that he's on. Uh, so for Vonley, being able to play this efficiently offensively without Chris Tapps, Porzingis, I think is is typically a sign that it's something that he can sustain on other teams. I think this is a genuine show of improvement on his part uh, from season to season. And and for that reason, he's definitely one of the players that uh, I'm excited to see what he can do in the future. Now, the next Draymond Green, that's a big ask that requires a huge overhaul right. of what he's currently capable of doing when it comes to handling the ball. Uh, in the high post and, and really creating for others. Uh, but defensively, he has the makings of an elite defensive role player at least.
1: The other two players that we talk about in the video is Al Aminu and Nikola Miritich. Now we've talked about Nikola Miritich in the past. You guys know how we feel about miritich. He'd be a great fit on this team. He fits He stretches the floor. He's got that deadly pump fake. His mid-range game has improved this season. He has some post-up moves. He's big. He's the tallest of those players, and he'd be a good fit on this team in general. But Alfredo Camino, this is kind of a new name for us. We haven't really talked about him and his fit with the team. Uh, Obviously, a very good defensive player. Uh, He has the ability of stretching the floor as well. He sort of played that Trevor Reza role, that P.J. Tucker role for the Trailblazers, uh, in, in this past few seasons, he'd be a good fit defensively. Do you think he's big enough to to, to rebound for us? That That's the only fear I he's have. He's been
2: starting at power forward for the Blazers uh for the past couple of seasons now. He right. sort of switched there permanently a few years ago, so he's tried and tested at that position, not only in the regular season, but in the playoffs as well. Um, and I have full faith that he could continue to do that. I compared Aminu to Tucker in the video, and really I think it's a perfect comparison because if you're trying to build a team like the Rockets of the past couple of years, where you take a great scoring guard like James Harden or Devin Booker in our case, and surround him with switchable wings. For the Rockets, it was Ariza, Mute, and Tucker. Aminu is exactly that type of signing. He's just the perfect role player uh, who's going to play defense for you, but he's not going to do anything offensively. So that's where players like Miritich and Harris really come into the fold and uh, add an extra element that Aminu just can't.
1: Now, let's say that not taking contracts into account, These four guys, Noah Vonley, Al Farouk Amino, Nikola Miritich, and Tobias Harris. Which one do you think is the best fit for the Phoenix Suns going forward? Now, I will talk about mine first. My initial reaction, of course, when looking at these four players is to automatically lean ...towards the youngest of the four uh, with Noah Vonley because Noah Vonley, he's got potential to grow the most and get better or show the most sustained improvement over the course of his career whereas guys like Aminu, Miritich, and Harris are likely playing at the peak of their powers and although they would be great fits on this team we probably won't see them getting much better throughout their time with the Suns if we sign them to a longer contract, which is what they're likely looking for uh, going forward. So Vonley is the guy that I initially say, but without thinking about contracts, Miritic to me still is the best fit in my mind. With the ability to stretch the floor, he's tall, he can rebound, he's got the mid-range games, he's very versatile offensively, and he's played in a up-tempo style of, of team, and with a guy who plays similar to DeAndre in Anthony Davis. And, and, you know, hopefully that kind of fit would work uh, going forward. And you do talk about how it's different than Ryan Anderson. I appreciated you talking about Miritish and Ryan Anderson. and They're they're different types of players, regardless of how people feel about them. So for you, out of those four guys, which one do you think is the best fit? Contracts aside.
2: Uh, I'm currently still leaning towards Vonley, uh, just because of the potential. Aminu is a really good fit as well. I think defense is really important, and I make a special note in the video that uh, Miritich plays solid defense. He's not a rim protector, though. And so I think the critical thing that we need to see for me to be comfortable with signing Nikola Miritich to a long-term, say, $20 million-a-year contract is some more progression, and I do think it'll come. We need to see more progression in DeAndre Ayton's um, rim protection numbers, because if you look at the stats right now, really, this shouldn't be anything that any of us wouldn't expect. When the Pelicans play a tandem of Nikola Mirotic and Anthony Davis, they're a very good team. I think they have a plus six net rating. When they play a tandem of Julius Randle and Anthony Davis with Julius Randle at the four, um, or excuse me, with Anthony Davis at the four, but the ca- uh, capability of being rim protector, they're a very good team. They have a net rating of a plus five or a plus six. It's only when they play Nikola Mirotic a power forward and Julius Randle, who struggles defensively as a center at center. That they start to struggle as you would expect when as soon as Anthony Davis leaves that floor, their defense really starts to lag behind. Even though Nico is a solid right. defender in space when it comes to defending the pick and roll, he is not a rim protector. Julius Randle is not a rim protector. And at this stage in his career, DeAndre Ayton is not a rim protector either. Uh, so to pair those two on the defensive end could have potential issues. Uh, and, and that would be the only thing I'd be wary of. But you know, on the other hand, the Suns have offensive issues too, right? And this is still one of the worst three-point shooting teams, even despite TJ Warren making that huge leap this year. So maybe a guy like Nico Miritich, who shoots above average from distance on seven attempts a game, is exactly the type of player that you want to inject into your offense.
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting conversation. And talking about that three-point shot shows how important it is for a guy like Mikhail Bridges to work on that shot coming into next season to not only be able to get it off really quickly, but also just to shoot a lot of them. I think it's important for him to shoot six or seven or eight three-pointers a game next season uh, and moving forward because we just need that kind of threat on the outside. And if he can pair... A lethal three-point shot with that defense. He's such an important piece to this team going forward. And you fit any one of these four guys around him, it'll be very interesting. Tobias Harris is a real interesting one because, like you said, he could make the most money. And I could see the Suns making a play for Harris, but I ultimately I would see him going some somewhere with a bigger market that would be more likely for him to win a championship. He's already the biggest forward. Offense.
2: How much bigger of a market? Can he yeah, in L. A.
1: Right, and Absolutely. and he could. Say, here's the thing, too. If if Kawhi Leonard doesn't go to L. A., why would they not just offer Harris the max and just keep him there at the max, and then he he becomes a trade piece moving forward after that?
2: Now that now these four guys that scares Clippers fans. Just to talk about it really quickly, because one of the things I mentioned in the right. field too, Harris is a great player. He's having a great season, uh, and he's technically the first option score. I think he's technically their leading score by one point per game. <laughs> he has the advantage over Danilo Gallinari and Lou Williams, right. so it's not much. But he's technically the first option scorer on an eighth-seeded playoff team in the Western Conference, and that's pretty difficult. He has those issues in the clutch, though. So are you really prepared to throw a max contract at a guy like that where you're really not sure if he's a star player or not? He's kind of on the cusp.
1: He's really a better fit on the Suns in that sense because we'd be able to surround him with so many offensive pieces. Of course, the the Clippers would just be better right away just by the nature of them having more players in their primes or, or more veterans that are just used to the NBA grind. Uh, but it it would be really interesting to see him on this team, and I think there would be a a lethal offense more than any of the other guys if he was on this team. Now, it should be said, though, we do have some power forwards on the roster, including a guy who just started (laughs) at center in the last game in Dragon Bender. Uh, Is Dragon Bender not the power forward of the future now that we've seen him play one good game?
2: Unfortunately, I, I think look, it still has to be over for Dragon, right? Like what we were talking about it last episode too. What future is there for Dragan vendor on this team? What would have to happen for him? And I, I'm glad he played last night. Let me preface it with that. I'm glad he played well last night and I hope he earns minutes in the future. If he plays well, he deserves to be rewarded uh, with minutes um, from Igor. But how well would he have to play in the second half of the season uh, to actually get another contract with the Phoenix Suns? And w- what would that even look like?
1: Well, it's it's a similar situation where why would he resign? <laughs> right. Well, and that's the other thing, why would he even want to come back? Yeah. If he plays well and he he earns another contract in the NBA, it's just more likely that he ends up somewhere else. Just like we talked about in our last episode about inducting guys into the timeline. Just a guy like Dragon Bender, uh, he's uh, we've given up on him, and we've made it we made it very public as a team that we're giving up on him by just renouncing his rights before we even had to in order to ensure that we have the cap space going into next summer. So, it's unfortunate, but it's just not it's just it's not going to work out for him and and he played center, too. He did not play power forward. We have DeAndre Ayton going forward. Not to say that any team Dragon Bender could earn a starting position, but We also have the potential of re-signing Rashawn Holmes. And there's no chance any fan of this team would want to keep Dragan Bender over Rashawn Holmes going forward. He gives us what we need out of that backup center position better than anyone can. And even though Bender has the potential of you know, being sort of that versatile guy on the perimeter and making some three-point shots, even though he hasn't really been making them this year, I can't imagine anyone wanting him over Rashawn Holmes going forward, right? No.
2: No way, uh, Rashawn. The one thing that Dragon has for him is that he's supposedly a space floor spacer. Uh, but he's a floor spacer. Shot oh for five from three last night. Let's make that clear. So he, you know, he still struggles to get the right amount of lift on a shot at a lot of critical moments, and just in every other sense of the game, Rashawn Holmes blows Dragon Bender out of the water.
1: And I just want to give a shout out to Ryan, the guy who runs the Suns Reddit Twitter account. I don't know if you saw this, but he had a great thread about dragon bender using gifts of the dragon in game of thrones talking about it dying and coming back to life and then ending up on the spurs which of course is the white walkers and the ice dragon in game of thrones and this is the likely scenario with dragon bender
2: Have you seen Game of Zones the the Bleacher Report Game of Thrones Oh yeah Yeah so I mean they make the same comparison with the spurs in that one and it's just perfect y-
1: it's exactly, exactly. So shout out to that. That's a perfect example. And that's le- that's the likely scenario going forward is that Dragon Bender, he flames out here and ends up on another team. And if he does well, he does well. Good for him. It is the risk that you take drafting a guy that's so young, one of the youngest guys drafted. Uh, and, and you know, he could still improve. It's possible. I don't think it's going to happen. Do you, think, do you think it's possible that he does improve somewhere else next year?
2: Totally. He's 21. Yeah, he's twenty one. We yeah. can't we can't afford to keep keep on waiting around for it. D- and did you notice last night too? Th- something I really quickly want to address. I feel like I saw a lot of hate for Devin Booker's playmaking in the last moments of the game last night. Admittedly, he had a couple of uh, <laughs> crucial turnovers. But the other thing I noticed is that Devin Booker was coming around that screen from set by Dragon Bender, and the defense would trap. And Bender would stand there. No one on the court would really make too much of an effort to cut or get open. And really all game, not just in the final minutes of the fourth quarter, but all game, you could tell Devin Booker had Bender open for a pick and pop three point opportunity on the wing plenty of times. And he does not trust him to take that.
1: He don't want it. He does not. (laughs) He doesn't want it anyway. He does
2: not trust him to take that shot. He could have, Drakenbender could have shot 15 threes last night with the amount of open looks he had. He only took five and he missed all five because Devin Booker was not really looking for him because he realized that that's not really as efficient of a scoring opportunity as we as Suns fans would like to think it to be. I saw a lot of people shitting on the concept of, you know, Devin Booker with his late game heroics playing point guard last night. But one game before that, where were those people when Devin Booker had 11 assists, 32 points right. and no turnovers? So, you know, a big part of that is about the types of players that you're surrounded with, just because Dragan spaces the floor literally, uh, you know, or, t- or technically, doesn't mean that he actually really has the ability to shoot that shot to the point where his teammates trust him. Devin Booker had a full season of passing to Dragan Bender on the three-point line last year, and, and Bender didn't necessarily take uh, full advantage of those opportunities.
1: The NBA trade deadline is earlier than ever before this year. It is on February 7th, just around the corner. It will be here before we even realize, just in the next few weeks. So we're going to talk a little bit about that trade deadline. We're going to talk about what we expect the Suns to do, what we want them to do. But one thing I want to talk about is actual trade value. So Bill Simmons has made a living writing about trade value for the entire NBA. And what he does is he details who has the most trade value in the NBA and usually the top 30, top 40, top 50 players. Now it's some big State Farm-funded, I don't know, weird website uh, where Luka Doncic is like moving close to the number one spot in his mind uh, because, of course, he reminds him of his favorite player ever in Larry Burrow. Whoops. You funny? There is a subreddit there's a subreddit about uh Bill Simmons and they talk about how he mentions Jason Tatum on every podcast and I cannot help but notice that no matter who he's talking with he compares their career to to Jason Tatum, and it really is remarkable that he finds the ability of shoving Jason Tatum into any conversation. He could be talking to anyone, literally an actress, an actor, and he'll say, you know what? You had this stretch of movies that you were in, and blah, 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 really great stretch of your career. You know what it reminds me of? Jason Tatum. (laughs) It really is a remarkable skill. It
2: is remarkable.
1: So he talks about... Uh, trade value, though. And I, I do want to talk about trade value a little bit because what's interesting about trade value is is that contracts matter, uh, age matter, and potential matters. Those are the three most important things in trade value. And what that means a lot of times is that your best player on the court is not always the player that has the most value on the trade market. So with our team, the obvious question is, Is Devin Booker the player on the team with the highest trade value? What do you think, Sam?
2: That is a fantastic question that I go back and forth on every day because at the core of it, here's the thing. DeAndre Ayton, anytime you draft a guy, you have the potential for nine years of team control. They're four years on the rookie contract plus a five-year max extension. So Devin Booker right now has already played three seasons. So we're looking at five... We have to compare five and a half more seasons... Of Devin Booker being under Suns team control versus eight and a half years of DeAndre Ayton. Don't we think that given the tremendous start to DeAndre Ayton's career that he's had so far, he'll be at the point in a few years where you'd take eight and a half years of DeAndre Ayton over five and a half years of Devin Booker if you had to? I'm willing to say yes. And, and so I think you could probably convince me that DeAndre Ayton is actually the guy with more trade value just technically uh than Devin Booker right now.
1: This might be boring, but I agree with that. I actually think <laughs> that Ayton has more trade value on the market. It's just Devin Booker's contract kicks in next year and he's going to be one of the highest paid players at his age and in his contract range in the NBA. And and that alone makes it harder to trade him. And not I'm not saying we should trade anyone, but it should be the question should be brought up, is anyone on this team untouchable and should anyone on this team be untouchable on the trade market? Going forward, my first impression is just no, everyone should be available, and that includes Devin Booker. I'm not saying I would trade Devin Booker, but I think that uh, there is a case to be made if, with the right offer, if it comes, maybe you do move Devin Booker. And I don't think anyone will because he means more to the Suns than he would mean to any other team. So I think there's no chance he does get moved. But just on paper, do you think anyone should be untouchable on no. this
2: team? No. And well, and it's important so no is my answer. It's important to mention that the whole concept <laughs> behind Bill Simmons' trade piece here, his trade value column, is that you have a ranking of these players and then anyone who's above a certain player means that you'll at least pick up the phone and think about it. Right? So like Devin Devin Booker is right. ranked as the 18th most attractive trade value player in the nba that means and i could read off all the names if suns fans are interested maybe it'll make you uh maybe you'll agree maybe you'll just get really angry i think at some of these names you'd probably get really angry but it would mean that for the 17 names ahead of him if those players are available you're at least going to think about trading devin booker you would at least think about it because you would at least think that a one-for-one swap you're probably getting a better value in the long run in terms of your investment when you factor in things like age and potential and contract Uh, comparing Booker to those players that's the entire and and by the way when you do that just to talk about Bill's piece for for one more minute there are some really interesting scenarios here like he's got a rookie like Shea Gilgis Alexander where again the concept is you've got nine years of team control of this guy who's had a pretty interesting rookie year even if he's not necessarily tearing it up to the point where he's first team all rookie yet uh he's got a guy like Shea Gilgis Alexander is having more trade value than Paul George Who's in the middle of his career with three more years left on his contract? Does that really sound right? That like if the Thunder called up the Clippers about a Paul George for Shea Gilches Alexander swap, the Clippers would say no.
1: Does that does that seem right? <laughs> the Clippers are the Clippers are so desperate for a star they would <laughs> they would do that in a heartbeat. And there's no way, there's absolutely no way OKC would. Except that, but that's, I think, what makes it interesting. And, and those are the flaws. I mean, De- I mean, just looking at Bill Simmons' column as a whole, there's a bunch of flaws in it. It's not a perfect system, and I still think it's interesting. But that's not something I think, either, you know, of course the Clippers would do it. There's just no way OKC would do it. Paul George is the more valuable player, just period. And I don't care what he's making. He's been absolutely incredible. And Shea is going to be good for the record, but I don't know. That's That's kind of insane. Now, Devin Booker, though. Would you trade – I'm going to throw some at you, Suns fans. Bugs. Forgive me. This is all a game here. We're not actually trading your favorite player. But would you trade Devin Booker for yes. Ben Ben Simmons?
2: No. Bill Simmons, yes. <laughs> ben Simmons, no. You have to build around players that can shoot. You have, That's not necessary. You have to build around guards that can shoot.
1: Okay. Okay.
2: Okay. And he's not a guard, but you know what I mean. You have to. You have to mm-hmm. build around playmakers. People who initiate your offense have to shoot. Okay. I do not have faith that Ben Simmons is ever going to develop that ability. It's a clear no.
1: Would you trade him for Anthony Davis? If you let's say, are we we'll, we'll in use current, We'll I'm use factoring. both. We'll we'll use both options here. Anthony Davis. Say you have the inside scoop that he's willing to stay on the Suns. Not that that would ever happen. But maybe also <laughs> <laughs> let's also say you don't have that reassurance. Would you trade him for Anthony Davis? Anthony Davis clearly okay. a better player.
2: Well, yeah, but if you don't have the... Okay, so on the one hand, these feel silly. You don't want to always overvalue the younger player because that's how you end up not trading Josh Jackson for Kyrie Irving, and right. whew, that's looking like quite the decision we made. But um overall I'd still say no, uh if I don't have the assurance that Anthony Davis is going to resign, he's only got one year left on his contract. Uh, You just can't afford to do that. He's going to burn you in free agency. Now, can I flip it around on you and ask you a similar Mm -hmm. question, but slightly different? Mm -hmm. Say the Suns luck in to the first overall pick. And Mm -hmm. you have the opportunity to get Zion Williamson, who, you know, is theoretically a generational player, but you never really know, do you? You could have nine years of team control of Zion Williamson, or you can have one year guaranteed of Anthony Davis, the best big man in the NBA, and have one full season. Uh, this assumes, of course, that the Pelicans are willing to accept the trade offer. But if the Suns have the opportunity to take Zion, they could build a better package for fuck Bill Simmons for a second with all his talk <laughs> about the Celtics trying to make a play for you know Anthony Davis with some potpourri of garbage like you know Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart and you know even Jason Tatum. If the Suns have Zion Williamson in their grasp they could make the best package for Anthony Davis no doubt so if you could have a full season to commit to of a big 3 of Devin Booker Anthony Davis and Deandre Ayton and you try to use that to gain enough momentum that you convince Davis to re-sign with you after that is that worth rolling the dice on or do you just take well, Zion and, and run with it
1: yeah, if i was the suns i would take zion and run with it no question absolutely no question because no question. of the potential it's, it's no question
2: Because here's the thing, rookies don't win. I know this might be a little bit impatient. And I'm not even necessarily saying we should do it because nine years is a hell of a lot more than one year if Anthony Davis decides to dart. But Anthony Davis should bring you immediate success. If the Suns have a big three next year of Anthony Davis alongside DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker and they're still losing games, that's how you know, assuming that there are no injuries. Right. If they're still losing games and they are not a top four or five team in the Western Conference you know that it's not working out. Devin Booker's not your guy. DeAndre Ayton's not your guy. If you're still losing games with that big three, then you can just blow it up right there and give up on the rebuild, start the timeline all over again. You can skip all the years of waiting out to see if it ever accumulates to something because if you continue to lose games with that big three, it won't.
1: I completely agree with that. But on the sides of if you're trying to measure the likelihood of... Zion Williamson being a star compared to the likelihood of Anthony Davis staying on the team going forward after he signed with Clutch and clearly wants to play in Los Angeles. I -hmm. don't want to trade our future for a guy who could leave and play for the Lakers and then we end up with absolutely nothing moving forward. Now, I do have another one to throw at you, though. We're (laughs) going (laughs) to trade off. (laughs) this This is our game to try and trade for Anthony Davis here. But say the Suns end up with... Zion Williamson as our pick, or maybe not, regardless. And we have the potential of solving the point guard problem one way or another. Would you trade DeAndre Ayton for Anthony Davis? So, a package around DeAndre Ayton for Anthony Davis coming back to the Suns. And then you could potentially have a core moving forward with Devin Booker, Zion Williamson, whoever that draft pick is, and Anthony Davis. And the risk of course would be keeping Anthony Davis. This uh, this is under the assumption that there's no guarantee of course that he would stay moving forward.
2: So it's basically the same question but just trade Deandre exactly. instead of Zion. I think you yes. trade Deandre. I'm that con- uh, this is a probably going to be a pretty weak draft class overall, but I think it really says something that Zion is as clear-cut of a first overall pick as he is.
1: Oh, we're going to have to get into this because I'm all in on Zion. <laughs> I've pushed my chips to the center of the table. I, I, Yeah, but you're right. It's just after that it falls off a bit. I do like that John Morant has uh, the name of a Game of Thrones character and you just don't have to change that going forward though.
2: <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll have to do a whole draft episode pretty soon for you guys. Cause, yeah,
1: we keep teasing um, it.
2: Yeah, we keep teasing it and, and we keep being like, is this the week? Uh, No, I guess not. I mean, people aren't watching. I feel like people don't. I don't know. Maybe. okay. meta moment. Maybe you guys can tell us if you want the draft episode coming soon or not, uh, because are you even interested in college basketball yet? Are you that depressed about the Mm -hmm. Suns? We have the trade deadline coming up. Normally, that would be like a thing to boost morale almost in the like it kind of wakes fan bases up from the dead in the middle of the season, if you will. But this year, I really don't think the Suns are likely to to do anything so. I guess we'll have to see. Maybe a draft episode is the right.
1: draft soon. If not, I think maybe we start working. We have a YouTube channel now, so maybe we start working on some draft takes on our YouTube channel and teasing those out a little bit because the draft, if we start this draft conversation now, guys, you're going to be so tired of it by the time the draft comes. And who knows what uh,
2: Thank God. I'll say this right now. Thank God we started this podcast when we did because we started it just a few weeks before the 2018 draft and we only had to do one episode. It was two hours long, but it was one <laughs> two-hour-long episode of us talking about our draft takes. And I think, you know, had had we had to do then what we're realistically going to have to do this year, where we talk about the draft endlessly during April and May while we watch these other teams in the playoffs, uh, it's going to be rough. It's going to be rough yeah, for my... it will
1: w- be. Yeah. Now that we've traded all of, uh, of every fan of this podcast's favorite players... <laughs> <laughs> who do you think who do you think has the third best trade value on the team and we'll just talk about this quickly because it's not that important but it's interesting I think uh because is it TJ Warren or is it Mikael Bridges? I think those are probably the only two players that you can talk about in that conversation, to be honest. TJ Warren, team-controlled, relatively good contract, the better player currently just in a vacuum, but then Mikhail Bridges, you have the, that control that we talked about with a guy like DeAndre Ayton, and then the potential is sky high with him. He could be one of the best defenders in the NBA going forward. He may or may not be, right? There's no guarantee that that's what makes it a bit of a risk. But which guy do you think has the next best trade value? Well, it's
2: three and a half years of TJ Warren versus eight and a half years of Mikhail Bridges. Right off the bat, right. we know that. And then I hate to generalize TJ with the amount of progress that he's made, but there's still this idea that if neither of these guys improve, well, Mikael Bridges is going to improve at least a little bit more. But if neither of these guys ever achieves their full ceiling, TJ Warren's place with what he does as a 20 point per game scorer, but not much else, has probably a better fit on lottery teams. Mikhail Bridges as at the bare minimum, a three and D wing is the type of guy you can plug into any team in the NBA and get winning basketball out of. So I think just that probably gives the advantage to Bridges. And and then of course, what I said before more than twice as much potential team control on Bridges, I, I would say it would have to be Mikhail for now.
1: If the Suns ever move players for a star, we always talk about that star player, that star trade that the Suns have been trying to make for years. The, to me, the most likely player of our court to be involved in that trade is Mikhail Bridges because he's got such high potential. And if you're trading for a star, you have to give up something of value. And that means that uh, he's probably going to be that guy. I don't really expect that to happen. I don't even see any real big names on the move going forward. You know, just guys like. Aaron Gordon or Vucevic. Everyone's trying to feast on the Orlando Magic right now because they have no direction. Uh, But I just don't see any big-name players moving anytime soon, so I don't think that would happen. But I think if you look at those big trades, you give up something of value, and that's the kind of guy it is, like Robert Covington and Dario Saric sort of moving for Jimmy Butler. That's kind of the mold of Mikhail Bridges being. It is
2: exactly like that. Mikhail Bridges would be the Robert Covington in... That sort of trade, and then Dario Saric is I don't know maybe closer to a TJ Warren in terms yeah, of trade Jackson. value. They're they're very close. Well, Josh Jackson right now, what is Josh Jackson's value? Like, would it's low? The, it's low, right? Would the Mavs even trade Dennis Smith Jr. for Josh Jackson? Probably not.
1: I think they would. I actually do think they would, be, and I think, but that's that's actually a problem with. Dennis Smith Jr.'s value too, because it's it's underreported. I think they 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 don't really know how to report this, but it seems like part of the problems with Dennis Smith Jr. are he's he's being a little difficult with them right now, and I think that lowers his value, which makes it more likely to be around Josh Jackson's value. So I do think they would, I just don't think the Suns value a guy like Dennis Smith Jr. enough, especially with those rumors of his dysfunctionality. (laughs) I don't think they value him enough to give up on Josh Jackson this early. Now, I do want to talk about what we think the Suns are going to do, though, because this trade deadline is coming up. We've made up all these fake trades. Do you think they're going to do anything at all? What's the point? Like, give give me your
2: case first. What is the point of winning? I know I can already think of what I would have told you three months ago which I think is that the Suns need to win as many games as possible to try to generate the momentum that we wanted to see out of them this season to convince free agents to even want to sign with you in the first place, to convince people that you're on the upward trend and that you're not just stagnating in filth. But honestly, at this point, with as many losses as they've racked up, what what's the point of winning two or three extra games uh, right. and giving up assets for it?
1: Yeah, and risking, I know the odds are sort of evened out a little bit, but risking your chance at a guy like Zion as well. I mean, the Suns do have a chance of being one of the worst teams in the NBA. They will be one of the worst teams record-wise at the end of the season. So I do agree with that. I think the most likely trades to happen are sort of those good guy trades where the GM is doing a favor to guys at the end of the bench and finding them a team that could potentially put them on the floor a little more, guys like Troy Daniels, or maybe even Dragon Bender, to be honest. I don't know if Dragon Bender can be moved, but I I would bet that he would want to finish out the season on a team where he could potentially get some minutes, maybe a team like the Hawks. Now, one thing that is a potential uh, going forward, and and maybe nobody wants him, but Ryan Anderson, do you think the Suns try to move that Ryan Anderson contract maybe by attaching another asset like the Bucks pick and finding a team that is going to be tanking for a few years like, say, the Atlanta Hawks, again, as an example, and giving them a pick in the Bucks pick and saying, can you just take Ryan Anderson off our books? I know you're not going to sign any big name free agents going forward. You'll have him next year. You can move him as a expiring contract next year and you get an extra draft pick. Do you think any team would bite on that?
2: Yeah, potentially. I'd have to do a little bit of research into which teams. I know more teams have cap space this year, but I'd have to look, uh, really dig into the numbers a little bit and see which teams have how much cap space and sort of try to evaluate their situations. Uh for the yeah. Suns, I don't know. I mean you can wave and stretch Anderson this off season as we talked about doing, and then mm-hmm. you'd have about uh I think it's a five to six million dollar cap hit on your hands for the next several years, if I'm remembering correctly, I need to look into that yeah. as well. I, didn't, didn't I think it's into- just
1: over five million.
2: Yeah, so is is incurring that sort of fee that you pay for a few years, is that worth giving up a draft pick? If it's the Bucks pick, maybe.
1: Yeah, that's the uh, only, only one yeah, I could think, I
2: think of. I, something that I keep thinking about, Mike, is just the number of uh, sort of late first-round picks and second-round picks that the Suns have squandered in the past several years. Think about all these teams that sort of do jump into contender status, and a lot of them hit, mm-hmm. um, or sorry, a lot of them miss on their top picks just as the Suns have done. You draft your vendors and your Marquise Chrises. Um, in the case of Philly, they had plenty of misses at the top, but usually, if you're really going to become a good team, you got to get at least one or two good prospects in the second round. And so far, the Suns have De'Anthony Melton and Kobo right now. But so far, they haven't really gotten any types of those guys yet to, to really comfortably add to their timeline.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, Robert Covington and Dario Saric got the 76ers' Jimmy Butler. And those weren't their top picks in those drafts. I mean, Dario Saric was picked pretty high, but... Those guys were pretty late picks compared to a lot of their the process, if you will, and uh, that's what got them Jimmy Butler because those guys both hit. They had the ability of moving them for a big star like Jimmy Butler. Now it can be argued maybe that wasn't the best thing for their team going forward, and we don't really know, and and there's no way to really know. But but the point stands that hitting on those later picks could lead to some big things for a team in the future. I think you're right about that, and and I think I think we will hold on to it. I don't I don't think we're planning on moving those picks uh, going forward but i think you should probably shop around and see just just to see what happens with that ryan anderson contract moving forward maybe you can get some guy at the end of the bench that could be uh, more of a piece on the suns and then give up a draft pick for that moving forward and some guys that are expiring
2: if we're quickly on a tangent about uh the value of later draft picks or the value of a good scouting department we need, by the way, answers about the Phoenix Suns scouting department. Oh, do we have scouts? Do yeah. we not have scouts? We need answers because uh, I don't think either no one's asking or, or James Jones isn't available and Robert Sarver isn't available. But the second place in the NBA Western Conference Denver Nuggets have their four top scorers, Jamal Murray, the seventh pick in the draft, Gary Harris, the 19th pick, Nikola Jokic, 41st overall, Paul Millsap, 47th overall. A core of one of the legit top four or five contenders in the NBA this year is comprised of two mid-second round picks, a late first round pick, and a back end of the top 10 guy. That's absurd. And that's what I'm talking about. All it takes is one or two times that you luck into that sort of thing, which is why I'm not that comfortable with the prospect of just throwing away late first round picks and second round picks. Uh, you know, I know the value of any one given one is really not that much. Of course, that makes sense. But just to shed off a few million dollars from from Ryan Anderson's salary, uh, the prospect of that makes me a little uneasy.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point, and I, I think we don't really know what's going to happen, right? Because. We've never seen, We don't. first of all, we don't know who's in charge. We can assume it's James Jones, but we don't really know. Things can change on a day-to-day basis with this team. And if it is James Jones, we don't really know what his tendencies are because this is all new to him, too. So we're going to learn a lot about him, I think, in this trade deadline. And uh, and we'll see if uh, that could mean whether or not he keeps his job going forward. We know how volatile Robert Sarva can be, so it might just be a test that proves his worth, and that's my biggest fear. It seems, based on what I've seen, that they're more willing to admit that this team needs to improve in the offseason more than during this season. And based on the quotes going forward, I think that's the most likely scenario. And if I had to pick a player that's the most likely to be moved, it would be Troy Daniels, I would say, just because he's a great shooter and he sort of deserves to be on a team with minutes. I don't really think it makes sense that he's not here, but I would bet his agent is sort of knocking on the door of James Jones and saying find my guy a team he deserves to play uh do you have anybody else that you think is likely to be moved with the team
2: I don't think anyone is likely but let's be honest if there's a way for the Suns to get a point guard because Kobo and Jamal Crawford have kind of been trading off these minutes behind uh D'Anthony Melton but neither one feels established in the rotation right now so if the Suns really want to get a point guard it has to be Josh Jackson right I I don't think yeah I mean look it could be TJ Warren too theoretically but tj warren they kind of need tj warren right now because i don't think any of those other guys can really play power for it i mean i guess kelly Oubre can they're obviously not going to trade Oubre because they just acquired him and he's playing well enough that i think they're starting to feel confident about uh trying to resign him i don't think they're going to trade bridges for the reason we just mentioned eight and a half years of team control of one of the better rookies coming out of his draft class is too enticing to trade unless you get a star player. If you're just looking for some sort of stopgap option at point guard for a little while, uh, then Josh Jackson is probably (laughs) we've used this phrase a lot recently but the odd man out. That doesn't make it likely, but that's just a guy that I would have my eyes on.
1: Yeah, we're going to have two more episodes between now and the trade deadline. So I assume there will be some rumors that are cropping up. Uh, so we'll be on top of every single one of those. We'll cover those as they come. We can talk about any potential players that may or may not be available going forward. There's only a few rumors right now. Not a lot of big names. Aaron Gordon probably being the biggest name. And I, I think that's more of an assumption by the media than any indication that the magic given. Uh, that they want to move him so going forward we'll find out right and we'll cover every aspect of it Uh, but don't forget to watch our first YouTube video Uh, Sam worked very hard on it I put a little bit of work in it to help him out but Sam worked very hard on it so definitely check it out we'll try to post some videos there going forward who knows how often I don't want to make a commitment because it takes a lot of work of course to make these videos but we will definitely be putting stuff on there so please subscribe there. And uh, you'll be notified when we make new videos. Do you have anything else you want to say about uh, the video or the trade market, Sam?
2: Uh, no, that's it. Please. Well, okay. Please give us uh, feedback. I said, I think in that video, everyone knows we have a point card problem too. So there'll be a point card free agency video coming out at some point. But beyond that, feel free to do what we've always encouraged you guys to do with this podcast, which is leave feedback and give us ideas for what to do in the future. Uh, that applies for the YouTube channel now as much as it applied for uh, the podcast for the better half of the past year
1: yeah and share share it oh yeah if you, if you share to show it to other people yeah, if you like
2: what we do then uh you know getting more eyes on it helps that's for sure
1: Yep, and if you can't find it, it's called The Timeline of Phoenix Suns Channel. Uh, You can also find it on our Twitter account. Of course, we'll be posting it there, uh, so you'll be able to subscribe to it there. So thanks for listening, and make sure to subscribe. Oh,
2: my God! Oh, my God! Oh, my
1: God! Oh, my God! I've got five subscribers! Oh, my God! Five subscribers!
2: That's so amazing. It's like five subscribers. is such a
0: huge milestone on, on, on YouTube. Uh, and I've made it. Up. Yes. Oh, thank you everyone for subscribing. I love you all so much. Thank you. Um, and, and wow, I
1: just don't know what to do. Uh, what do other people do when they get five uh, subscribers? Um,
2: um, um, I could write all your names on, on the wall. Uh, on post-its, um, 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 um. paper chains. I can make paper chains. I saw someone do that. Um, um, I could just name you each individually, one by one. I could blurt out all your names. I could write them on on the screen, do them all as a big, big scrolly thing. Um, 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 oh wow! I just can't believe it. Five
1: subscribers. just wrapped up another episode of The Timeline. I love this podcast. And if you're like me, you want as much Suns content as possible. That's why I listen to The Timeline every week. So if you want to go ahead and hear some more Phoenix Suns content, go ahead and listen to The Solar Panel, a Phoenix Suns show. We are available on Spotify, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, anywhere that you listen to podcasts, go ahead and check out The Solar Panel, a Phoenix Suns show.